0: Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large.
1: Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing?
0: Sherry, I'm doing great. And how about yourself?
1: I'm doing very well on this Monday afternoon, Yes, and we are really looking forward to hosting our next guest on the podcast. This is Jimmy Sides, U.S. Marine Corps EOD Tech retired. He is a wounded EOD veteran and also a member of the 2018 Team USA. He is a Paralympian and much more. Jimmy, welcome to Behind the Warrior.
2: Thanks, Jerry. How are you?
1: I'm doing really good, Jimmy.
2: It's so good to hear your voice. (laughs) You as well. And Mike, how's it going?
0: It's going great, Jimmy, and uh, we're really glad to have you and looking forward to hearing about your story and uh, what you're up to.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to be here and share my story.
1: Awesome. Well, before we get too far in the weeds here, Jimmy, we always like to ask if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, and ultimately what led you to choosing the military as a career.
2: Yeah, so I was born in Austin, Texas, And then my mom moved us to Florida, to Gainesville, Florida, uh, just before my eighth grade year. So I did eighth grade and all high school in Gainesville. And um, I had a bunch of older friends that had gotten out of, that graduated high school and they had gone on to community college. And I was still hanging out with them and just watching them not really go to class. And they were just kind of treading water, not really doing anything. And I, I thought to myself, I don't want to do that. I need to go do something. So I had a really good friend join the Marine Corps, and he came back and talked about how great it was and this and that and got taken over to the recruiter station. I thought it was a great gig, you know, go do four years, serve your country, uh, get some money for school, and then that way I could figure out what I wanted to do and go from there and ended up just falling in love with the Marine Corps and re-enlisting and staying in. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you
1: actually joined the Marine Corps in 2002, and when you were first in the Marine Corps, you were actually part of the field artillery designation. Um, You made three deployments to Iraq, and in 2008, you made a lateral move to EOD. Tell us why you chose EOD.
2: Yeah, so I was, I mean, I in the Corps, I was loving it but I, I knew I joined early. I knew I would retire one day and retire around 40 or 45. And to me, that was still young. I was, uh, I was looking for a career path that I could sustain outside of the Marine Corps. There's not a whole lot of, um, artillery units you can go and sign up for after you get out of the military. It's not like the joke was like, you should go look, sign up at your local artery battery. That's not how it works. So, um, yeah I put in a package for crash fire rescue to be a firefighter and then I put in a package for EOD and whatever and I got lucky with the EOD one came back first so that was my career path and yeah I figured I could get out and still work with explosives or demolition there was um there was life after the marine corps with that job so right that's what led me down the EOD path
1: and so you felt like you you had a pretty stable future with choosing explosive ordnance disposal as as your MOS at this point.
2: Oh yeah. I had I felt I would have no problems getting a, a job on outside of the military once I retired.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well on your on your fifth deployment, um, it was a deployment that changed your life and you were injured. Um, can you talk about that day, Jimmy, and and talk about the injuries that you actually sustained?
2: Yeah. So I I just dropped you, sorry.
1: That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, I was on my, it was my fifth deployment, my second deployment to Afghanistan. Um, I was an EOD tech. I was a team leader and got stationed outside of um, Marja and Five Points in Afghanistan. And it was a relatively slow deployment compared to my first one. Uh, My first one I had done, I think me and my teammate, we helped dispose of over 100 IEDs in a six-month period. And then the second deployment, I had, think I had done seven when I was injured. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I remember it very vividly. It was a Sunday. Uh, it was around the time that we started pulling forces out of Afghanistan, U.S. forces out of Afghanistan and trying to turning it over to the Afghanistan, Afghanistan Army. Um, so we still had some U.S. troops in the area, so we still had to do IED response. Um, and so we got a call from one of the Afghan National Army platoons that they had found what appeared to be an ID in a row in the road up to one of their bases that used to be a US forces base. So of course we, we roll out and go respond and try to try to figure out what's going on. And we find the squad leader for the ANA. That's the Afghan National Army. And we went to work. We we knew where it was. We found it. We could cite it. We did our what we do, we do perimeter checks, and then we we go in with the robot. And we had uh, we found the power source and the initiation device off on the side of the road, like every other setup usually had been. Um, brought those down, looked at them, and then put the robot back down and tried to dig in the ground. But it, the the road was too hard. It had rained a couple of days before, and if anyone knows that they've been over there, that stuff turns to concrete after it gets wet. It's just that moon dust, sand, this. So we couldn't really get in with a robot. We had a general idea of where the main charge was. So we just decided we'd already been on on target for a long time. We don't like to spend too much time down on the IED because uh, you get a little suspicion and people start coming. They want to come out and play. <laughs> um, so I went down to get some quick intel on it and drop a charge to get rid of it. And it was uh, ended up being a booby-trapped uh, IED it was a pressure release system embedded inside of the main charge that had a entirely different blasting cap and power source in the main charge. And it went off when I was on top of it digging. Um, it, so it, it detonated when I was on top of it. I, I come to, I'm in the futile position on my left side. And, uh, <laughs> I just remember it's like, if you ever had a nap where you, you take a nap and you sleep way longer than you intended and you think it's like the next day yes that that's kind of the, the state in my mind I was like did I go to bed was mm. this the next day I was very very confused um, my ears were ringing I had there was dust everywhere and then I realized what had happened I didn't know what exactly happened I just knew that the ID I had been working on had gone off with me digging on it um, and then it didn't seem that long that uh, the Corman and the team leader of the squad leader were on top of me, help rendering first aid. They were pulled me away from the, from the blast hole. My teammate came down and was started doing secondary searches. Um, they got me up and dragged me to the truck and they started patching me up. I had, um, it had blown my Kevlar off. I had took a bunch of rocks and, and frag to the, to my left side of my face. Um, I had a bunch of cuts all over all on my forehead and then it had, uh, Shredded my right hand to the wrist. Um, yeah, and so they called in the helo, the and I I walked to the bird, and they, they flew me down to Camp Leatherneck, where I got um, some uh, serious medical attention.
1: Mm-hmm. And what year yeah. was that, Jimmy?
2: That was in July of 2012.
1: Okay. All right.
2: Yeah, and then uh, after that, I flew to Bagram, where they amputated my hand. They couldn't save it, so they amputated my hand to the wrist, and then I was flown to Germany for two to three days. I don't really remember, for recovery there in uh, facial stitches and cleanup, and then I took the Big Bird back and flew to uh, D.C., where I was taken to Walter Reed.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Jimmy, you... Uh Ended up at Walter Reed, which is one of the major recovery hospitals here in the United States, and uh, you spent approximately eighteen months, a year and a half, recovering and rehabilitating. What uh, what stories or or what sticks out to you looking back on that time? Uh, how did you how did you uh, initially feel when you got there, and and what kind of care did you get, and just what stands out to you? And also in our pre-call, you you talked about. Uh, that you felt like you were in sort of a, a hero bubble. What, what does that mean?
2: Yeah. My, my time at Walter Reed was, I I have no complaints. Um, this time it was, it was transferred over to the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, which was the new Walter Reed. Um, and I got, I received the, the greatest care that you could from in, in the I was, um, my, my arm was taken care of. I opted to get my, the rest of my forearm amputated so I could fit into prosthetics. I ended up having surgery on my left eye. I lost, I have lost vision in my left eye. The blast, um, pretty much crushed my macula and put some sear spots in the back of my retina. It had also detached my cornea and my iris, um, almost, almost in half out of my eye. Just, I'm, I'm guessing from the overpressure of, of the explosion is what damaged my left eye. So, um, Two months in, come to find out, after everything, I'm I'm healed up, but I'm I'm without a hand and I'm without vision in my left eye, and um, the care was was unremarkable. I mean, I had it was given a schedule and you adhere to it and you get better, um, but the backside of that was yeah the hero bubble. You know, um, we had first first privilege and first choice for all of our appointments. We had walk-ins for medical for um, the pharmacy. You had you were catered to we had our own cafeteria that only the wounded warriors could eat in, not the outside other retired veterans or, or public could eat in. Um so yeah, you're you're kind of you're coddled and you're taken care of, rightfully so, but also everyone's considered a hero and there's no wrong way to go about stuff. So when you leave there and you get thrown back in the real world, it's it was kind of a shock.
0: Yeah. I, I... I can imagine. Uh, I visited Walter Reed during my time as an RCC, and I was uh, completely amazed and humbled by everything that I saw going on there. And uh, some of the things you described about being in the hero bubble and and some of the uh, privileges that they gave you, I can understand that too. Just because uh, you guys go through so many appointments, it's like you have a very busy day. You. You were you are constantly going from one treatment or therapy or, or, or doctor or appointment. Um, is, is it pretty crazy that way? I mean, are you, were, were you constantly on the go during those 18 months uh, seeing this doctor, this specialist doing, doing this rehab, et cetera?
2: Uh, in the beginning, yes. So you're doing, I mean, I had prosthetics appointments, and then I was doing occupational therapy to regain range of motion in my elbow and my, my shoulder um i had to i was my so the blast initially shredded my hand it broke my radius and my ulna and it also fractured my humerus so i had a seven inch metal plate put in my humerus so i had to wait for that to heal and then i had some elbow joint issues and then i had some shoulder joint issues so and then also at the same time my residual limb that we call it the nub My forearm was was healing, and half of it had had died from the skin graphing it didn't take. So I was going from occupational therapy for range of motions over to uh, wound therapy, where I was receiving, um, what is that, when the sonogram treatments and massage Mm -hmm. and getting all that done. Also, all while going over to prosthetics to get fitted for a prosthetic so I could start learning how to use new prosthetics that I've never seen or heard of before. So yeah, the first, I'd say the first two months I'd have anywhere from four to eight appointments a week. Wow. And then in between that was just trying to stay upbeat and, and healthy mind, mind and body. So I was working out, I was trying to be, I was walking everywhere. I wasn't taking taxis or shuttles or anything. I was just trying to stay upbeat as as positive as as I could.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So in your 18 months that you were there, uh, you started to go through the process of your uh, medical retirement from the Marine Corps, which was in 2014, and there was a lot of changes going on. So you were leaving the military, being medically retired, but you also married the love of your life and Miss Amy. And while there mm-hmm. were many changes happening so fast, uh, how, how did you juggle all that with leaving the Marine Corps and getting married? What, what was going on then towards uh, the end of your stay?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, looking back now, it, it came the leaving the Marine Corps part came pretty easy. I I knew I wasn't going to be who I was, and I was fine with that. I life changing event and nothing I could do. was only just to stay positive and go forward. So uh, in the beginning, Amy would come out, and she would stay a couple days every month. She was fortunate enough that her bosses where she worked in California would let her fly all the way out to D.C. and she would stay with me anywhere from two to four days and then go back home and then we would we did that for six eight months as much as we possibly could we'd see each other and then yeah it was at the end it was six months i mean i was i was fully healed i was in prosthetics i was just kind of treading water just waiting for the paperwork side and the um, military side to catch up and get all my stuff processed so I i was working out i was mountain biking i was just trying to stay active and and still see Amy and we talked every day. And then I retired finally out of there and got in my truck and I drove across the country and went and moved in with Amy first thing in California. And that was in March or April April of 2014. I I was medically retired and got to go back to California to be with Amy.
1: Well, Jimmy, one of the things that I have always admired about you is that you've always had sort of this... uh, Kind of determined attitude is, you know, the injury wasn't going to stop you. Um, prior to your injury, you were always very active, both with outdoor sports and all kinds of activities. And you almost accepted it as a challenge to continue to move forward. And I, I just want to say how much I admire you for that.
2: Thank you, Sherry. Yeah, I, uh, it wasn't going to stop me. I was, <laughs> I mean, I told you guys they, they called me paper cut at Walter Reed. Because I was the least injured <laughs> EOD mm-hmm. tech there, um, so I figured I still had my I still had three good limbs, and so I need to do, get out and do stuff and get after it for my brothers and sisters that are st- that weren't able to do those things.
0: Jimmy, uh, Sherry talked about that you had a love of outdoor sports. Did you know when you were when you were rehabbing at Walter Reed and and participating in outdoor sports rehab? Is that something that was like? Um, burning inside of you to do post-injury or did it come from something earlier? And how did your wife and your family encourage you to to achieve your, your goals?
2: No, I I think it was just already inside me that, yeah, and I, you know, like Sherry said, I took it as a challenge. I wasn't going to let one hand stop me from doing the adrenaline junkie stuff that I love to do, go fast, go surfing, do that fun x games type type of sports um and i i didn't really know a whole lot about prosthetics i knew what i knew there was prosthetic legs and and limited prosthetic upper limb devices but um becoming injured and and getting put in that that new adaptive amputee world opened up my eyes that there's limitless (laughs) um prosthetics that you can still get stuff done and sometimes even better than before Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think my golf game kind of improved after cause I, couldn't, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't bend, I couldn't bend my right wrist. So that obviously helped. Um, yeah, I, uh, I just charged through and Amy was there hundred percent of the way, all the way. She was, she's very active as well. She grew up mm-hmm. biking and hiking and she surfed a bunch when we were in California and, um, she's a very active and she's a go-getter and she wasn't, she saw that driving me and, and was like, yeah, we're going to get you going again. And she was a hundred percent on board and supported me every step of the way. And at times when I needed it, she was saying, Hey, you got this. It, there's, we're just going to have to, you're going to have to relearn, but you still got it in you. Mm-hmm. So that was great.
0: What, what do you think was uh, your either then or now? what What is your primary motiva- motivation in uh, participating in outdoor sports and, and achieving goals? what What's your motivation?
2: Well, I think the, mean the most underlying motivation is i'm still here um that id was meant meant for a tech it was meant for me and and it could have been bigger and i i could not have i i would have been leaving on the bird not alive so every day is a blessing and there was that was my it was a good reset mm-hmm. uh saying hey you're still here get after it you still got a lot of life to live there's no reason to just go woe is me and boohoo i lost a hand um i still got the drive and it, that's what's helped me get this far.
0: Awesome, love it.
1: Well, Jimmy, um when you were at Walter Reed, you were introduced to a variety of of outdoor sports and what led you to trying out for the US Paralympic team?
2: Oh, yeah. They had there's so much fun to have there. Uh, just I mean the recovery through sport program or mentality, it was it was a great way to get to get the guys and girls out of the hospital setting and out of there and, and into something archery, horseback riding, horse therapy, snowboarding, skiing. It gets your mind off of what you're going through and it focuses it elsewhere. Um, so with with that, they have a they do a trip almost every year. I don't know if they've been doing them as of late, but um, it's called Ski Spectacular. It's this giant adaptive skiing and snowboarding event held in breckenridge colorado every year the first week of december and we pretty much take over peak eight in breckenridge and this uh in a resort one of the hotels there and it's all things adaptive skiing and snowboarding and i was got on the list i was cleared medically after my um wounds had healed and i went in december of 2012 and i had already snowboarded once or twice i wasn't really fine fa- of skiing um i grew up surfing and skateboarding so i knew all about those the board sports so yeah i got i got hooked up with some rental gear or i think i had my own gear from previous years and went out there and snowboarded for five days and um received actual lessons and i guess i was i was noticed i got really good really fast and i was asked to uh come back the following year to to participate in their race camp which focuses mainly on um racing bank slalom and, and running gates like, uh, solemn skiers do and come back and try out for that. And I did, and I was, uh, asked to join this, uh, adaptive group called adaptive action sports. They're based out of copper Colorado, copper mountain, Colorado. And, uh, yeah, that's what propelled me. And so see, it just, it just happened in the Paralympics. They uh, border cross was brand new. And so she never before event for the Paralympics, but it was only for lower limb athletes. But the talk had always been of expanding and getting the upper limb component added later on. And in 2015, I believe they, they approved it. And me and Amy were still living in California at the time. And I had talked with the co-founder of Adaptive Fashion Sports, uh, Dan Gale. And pulled the trigger and said, hey, you're on the team. Come out and train. They're going to run upper limbs. Let's get you out here training and racing and getting points and get you on that team. So <laughs> Amy and I uh, ended up buying a house, a townhome, sight unseen on the internet for Silverthorne, Colorado. <laughs> uh, closed the deal. And then me and her dad drove out 10 days before close uh, after closing and did some renovations. And then we flew back. And then me, me and Amy drove out to our just bought townhome in Silverthorne and uh, moved in and commenced the training that, that 2015, 16 winter season got right into it.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, for our listeners out there, I would say that you would be um, someone to talk to about the, the benefits of, of sports and recovery and how those two things can be related. Um, I think that, The introduction to more like X-game sort of sports for you was just another, like you said, um, another charge to your adrenaline and made you want to do cool things. So in 2018, you had a dream realized, which was participating in the Paralympics in Pyeongchang, Korea. What a thrill that must have been. And tell us about your experience training and actually being there participating.
2: Yeah, the, those four years were the, were the best, probably, I had in a long time. I was, I felt, I mean, you're a professional athlete. You're, when you're doing border cross and bank slalom, it's a, it's a year round deal. You, you're training and traveling and racing in the winter and then in the summer you're gaining weight and getting strong and cardio and cross training. And yeah, it was great for my, my mental, my mental health to mm-hmm. refocus that energy and drive I had that I put into the Marine Corps and EOD. I could now do that in these professional sports settings and, and strive to be the, the best snowboarder I could as fast as I could. So I could go and represent my country in a different way um wearing red white and blue instead of instead of digital camis um and yeah i just didn't make i I, it was the goal was to make the national team as fast as you could but the ultimate goal was just to there's another there's a paralympic team that gets selected a couple months before the games start and i was announced as part of that team in february or january of 2018 and went to south korea uh To participate in the two thousand and eighteen Winter Olympics and uh, winter Paralympics and yeah it was it was surreal it was, the whole goal was just to to make the team and, and wear that red, white and blue jersey and try to go as fast as I could down bulletproof ice <laughs> that was all man made and very scary <laughs> no
1: kidding, <clears throat> so awesome well, I can recall. When you were selected, because you actually called me and, and told me the news that you had been selected to be on the team, which was fantastic. It was very exciting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, made a lot of phone calls that day. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Jimmy, you and your wife are still residing in Colorado, and you were able to continue your love for outdoor sports in um, and hiking and, and just being very physically active. Since your retirement, you have tried multiple avenues of finding the right fit for your lifestyle regarding jobs and, and finding a purpose. Um, were there struggles along the way? And if yes, what, what were they?
2: Um, yeah, it was kind of a, a repeat of after retirement. I got done with, I uh, we finished the Paralympics, and then it was kind of a, what do I do now? We, um, Amy and I had our, had our kid in March of 2017. So that was my new focus. My new priority was, was family. It was being a father and a husband and starting that. So I, I couldn't really fathom being gone eight months out of the year again and leaving my, my newborn with my relatively new wife. <laughs> so yeah, we, um, I started trying to go back to school to try to get a geology degree. And that kind of had some bumps in the road there. And then I found out about ski patrol and that they throw explosives to do avalanche mitigation. And I was like, I've got a little background in that. <laughs> let's go. Let's go check this out. And if anything else, I get to be outside all day. So, yeah, I uh, I applied in what was that? April or March. I applied in twenty Um, Got immediate response, more or less, tried out in April of 2019 up at Copper Mountain for Copper Mountain Ski Patrol and was accepted and hired on as a ski patroller with the stigma of getting my EMT creds, my EMT certification. So immediately enrolled in back in college and got hooked up with the EMT course out of Breckenridge and did a four month EMT course and earned my EMT cert for the state of Colorado. And and then my national registry certification, and then went right into working ski patrol in a late October, early November of 2019 for copper mountain. And now I'm a second year patroller and love and life. I'm outside five days a week. I'm snowboarding all the time. I'm doing avalanche mitigation and throwing explosives again. And I, I get to help help people on the mountain and, and meet, People from all over the world. It's been a great experience, and I, I think, uh, I don't think I could ask for a better, a better job to, to just fall into. This is what I want to do. I uh, actually just got done today. I had an interview to. I applied for advanced patrol position to see what all that entails, and to just uh, keep climbing this ladder, learn as much as I can, and uh, yeah, I want to, I want to do this for as long as my body will let me.
1: Yeah. Well, good luck with that. And um, so proud of you. Thank you. Yeah,
0: very cool. Uh, Jimmy, in 2019, uh, last year, as you were also becoming a Copper Mountain ski patroller, you, you found some time to attend a PATH program at Boulder Crest, Arizona. And PATH stands for Progressive Alternative Treatment for Healing Heroes. It is a seven day intensive program. Designed to help lead participants to a newfound post-traumatic growth. What was that experience like for you?
2: Um, that was another another life-changing event. To be honest, we um, this, the, just the stress of, of family and raising a child with with the, some of the stuff that I had going on as far as anxiety and short-term memory loss and my my TBI and PTSD. Um, it was getting it was getting pretty stressful, trying to balance family, husband, father duties with fully committing to working as a ski patroller. Um, I fully enveloped in that, and it took a toll on me mentally and physically. And then the summertime, it got a little better, and then it started waning again. And I was my wife started noticing changes in me. I was just never I was never happy-go-lucky anymore. We were we were drinking more. I was waking up angry. I was waking up tired and not really wanting to do anything with my kid. Um, so it was, it was time to make a change. And I had been receiving emails from the EOD Warrior Foundation about this PATH program. And we, we talked and I applied. And it was, uh, it was great. I can't, I can't say enough about the program and, and what it's done for me. Not just me, but me, my family. Um, my wife noticed an immediate difference when I got home with between my interactions with my, with my daughter and me and her and just my overall attitude in general. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, it was not easy. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I like one of the things they told us there is whatever you were doing before was, was working, you wouldn't be here. And that was the mindset that I had, I went with and it was, um, yeah, total, total life-changing event. I can't say enough about Boulder Crest Retreat and the Path Program and EOD Warrior Foundation.
0: How are you doing uh, since you since you've attended post attending? It's been uh, some months now, uh, coming up on a year anniversary. And how are you doing now? How is the program still working for you?
2: Oh yeah, um, the techniques taught there. I'm still um, my biggest one's meditation. Um, I meditate try to meditate almost every morning i get i get most 5 or 6 days in um, the breathing techniques and just how how to approach things i don't i don't fly off the handle right away anymore i, I take a breath and i think about what's going on and it's it's completely helped with how i interact and, and talk with my daughter was the biggest biggest thing my my patience is is not there as much as it used to be before my injury and i don't know if that's because of the injury and Mm -hmm. all the the head and brain trauma that i sustained but then also with just how me and my wife communicate um i'm listening more instead of just talking at her and then being more receptive to to feelings which i don't know a lot of guys tend to not show those and i've been been better about that and that's been helping me with the daily struggles
0: What, Marine EOD Tech? You're all about your feelings. (laughs) Now. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. So would you, uh, if you had a a fellow warrior who is struggling or first responder that is struggling, is this a program that you would recommend to them wholeheartedly?
2: Oh, yes, highly. Um, Another thing was there's there's no shame in asking for help. I mean, it's, you think you're at rock bottom? There's no other way to go but up. Might as well get that help and get out there. And, and it's five It was seven days. Like if if you can't buckle down and do seven days, then I don't know. And you, you want the change? Then you're not. You're just not going to do it. So right. buckle down, get the help. It's seven days, and it'll change your life. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't know how many, a couple hundred now. I think it's been going on years that yeah. everyone can attest that it's been life changing in some way or another. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I'm living proof of that as well.
0: And, and what, do you, what do you think of the follow-on program? I think they have a wonderful follow-on program that, that keeps you going. Would you say that's also very helpful?
2: Oh, yeah. So it's, a, it's an 18-month program. Mm-hmm. Um, you do the seven days, and then it's a year and a half of, yeah. of online based uh, with a book. And then you have your, your team, the, the guys and girls that you went to the PATH program with, are your, are your new buddies. Uh, we talk once a week. I think we're coming up on the, we're going to stop doing that. We're going to start talking once a month. And then there's a uh, weekly or weekly online um, things you do to help reiterate what you learned. And it just helps with the remembering what you went through. And I think, I think that's the biggest part of this is what, you know, like people that go to, I don't know, AA or they go seek uh, psychiatric treatment. They do their whatever, seven to 21 days. And then they go back home and there's nothing to remind them they fall back into the daily life and the struggles of everyday existence and then they don't remember what they went through. So I think this online-based program is reiterating what you were, what you learned and why you were there and that helps you progress more when you're not actually there. Yeah,
0: Sherry, Sherry and I have so much respect, admiration, and we, we know the program, we've partnered with Boulder Crest and uh, we think it's an amazing program and I appreciate you sharing your story about that. Um, another question I have for you, kind of changing gears a little bit is now that you're a ski patroller, which I think is just awesome and, a, and what a great way to do what you love being, being outdoors and you still get to blow stuff up. So it's really cool.
2: Um,
0: what are some of your challenges? What are the biggest challenges you face as a ski patroller?
2: Um, I mean, I just say it would have to be my my ad- adaptability, my amputation. I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm i not going to lie. There's some parts of this mountain that scare me. We're trying to run a toboggan with a patient in it. Mm-hmm. But um, I have to overcome that. And it goes back to that asking for help. There's always a patroller there to come back me up. And um, we have ropes on all the toboggans that help slow down. We call it tail roping. And I just call for another patroller to come tail rope me and help me slow down the toboggan with the patient in it um other than that i think the biggest struggle is i don't know if it's just my my character or who i am but i a lot of people don't even see me as an amputee or adaptive so they're asking me to like drive the snowmobile or do certain things and i'm like i can't they're like oh yeah sorry dude i'm like don't be sorry Mm -hmm. so i kind of take it as a compliment that i'm looked at as as one of one of i guess an able-bodied person yeah mm-hmm. and then they forget that i'm i don't have a hand
1: <laughs> yeah well you said something that i think is really profound here too is that you aren't afraid to ask for help and whether that's in in any part of your life i think that's that's something that a lot of people have difficulty overcoming and you know, you want to be independent, you want to be all of those things and not have to ask, but there are times in all of our lives where help is needed and and there is help out there, regardless of what situation you're in.
2: Yeah, I I learned a lot about that at Walter Reed and then again with the PATH program. And um, then, you know, there's that, the whole stigma around of I can do it. I don't, I don't need help. I'm a, I'm a strong-willed person in that sometimes it's just not the case. There's, there's never, you're not looked at as weak or, or different just because you need a a little, a little help, a little boost. And I, I can't preach that enough. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would, the same thing would hold true for your, for your four-year-old daughter. If she needed your help, you would give her your help you know it's it's oh, of course. It, you know and, and i i think as humans we have a tendency to get into routines of of and resistance routines of resistance for help and um we're all we're all very willing to help each other and also there's no weakness at all in asking for help
2: right exactly yes yeah
1: um, well, Jimmy, to this day, you are still very much a part of the adaptive sports world and are an ambassador for Move United. What What is that like? It sounds like you've developed a lot of really cool relationships with folks.
2: Yeah, so Move United is a nonprofit that helps people with, with disabilities get into any and every sport you can almost think of. Um, they used to be called Disabled Sports USA. And now they have changed their name to Move United, and they are the biggest sponsor of the Ski Spectacular and help host them, along with the, the Hartford, which is an insurance company that I believe helps out people with disabilities to, get, to, to receive medical um, insurance. Um, yeah, I, I think I was welcomed into the amputee community with, with open nubs and stumps, and I, I think it's <laughs> great. and uh it's you couldn't be around a better group of people i mean they're all we're all survivors of something or other in our own right and to see everyone charging and and trying to do their best with what they've got was was great and i I love to promote that i i will always forever be a part of the adaptive snowboard community and now i'm an ambassador with, with them and have done several uh videos trying to help like breaking into sports with uh, a couple of the u.s paralympic coaches and some other longtime adaptive snowboarders and yeah it's just giving back and sharing my knowledge and my my love of snowboarding and outdoor sports period and showing people that you can still do whatever you want to do no matter what you're missing and uh it's great i just i think i've just i've just come on i've only, I've only been a part of it for six months but i i can't wait to see what what happens in the future and once all this COVID stuff gets released and I can see what, what's, what's the future is going to hold and what I can offer.
1: Right. Well, I have no doubt you will, you will be an inspiration to many people. Um, well, in closing, do you have any words of advice that you would like to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah. Uh, never give up. There's always hope. If there's, not, if there's something you feel like you really can't do, then focus that energy somewhere else. There's always something to do and there's always ways to improve and just keep finding out what you love. Um, yeah.
1: Well, thank you, Jimmy. Um, it's been so much fun to talk to you and I'm going to let Mike lead into the, the final questions here. We always like to have a little bit of fun at the end and um, I'm going to... Let him take it away here.
0: Take it away. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, I really enjoyed talking with you today, and uh, you're very much an inspiration to me in the things that you're doing and and just giving back in your community and just being an example of of what someone can do. And... uh, just really appreciate the time to speak with you today. So, as Sherry said, we want to get into our favorites. So, I've got some favorites, a couple things I wrote down for you. Uh, Got to talk about 2018. You went to Korea. And what was uh, your favorite dish in Korea when you were there? What what, what did you
2: find interesting? Oh, man. Uh, I didn't really leave the... I don't. Know, it's not a compound. The Olympic Village very much, but when we did uh, try to get out and get some authentic South Korean barbecue, mm-hmm. and that was that was just really cool. You go in and they've got little tables, and they already have the little stoves right there, ready to cook all the meat. And you just we had to get some help, obviously, to order off the menu. Yeah. But the the ladies there were so nice, and they brought us. I think we had three different types of meats, and then I had no idea that so many vegetables existed. <laughs> yeah, anywhere in the world, especially yeah. in South Korea. Um, so, yeah, just trying new foods there. Uh, the, South, the South Korean barbecue was, was was great. That was probably my favorite stuff there.
0: Did you ever uh, eat any yaki mandu while you were there? It's kind of like their spring roll.
2: Uh, I may have. Yeah, I don't right. remember any anything called yaki mandu, though.
0: Man, that was my favorite. <laughs> 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 I loved it. How about, uh, how about your favorite memory from those games in 2018? Anything stand out to you while you were in Korea that, that's like really cool, fun, favorite memory you have?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, every time USA would cross the finish line, the crowd would just erupt. So, I mean, even if it was so, – I don't know if they knew what was really going on, but I, even time trials you'd come across and they would just be standing up clapping and cheering and – just seeing all the big stands it was and tv cameras everywhere it was it was just surreal it was awesome
0: yeah great moment Uh, and i know the usa did really well over there um now you are a champion snowboarder and so i imagine that you have gone down plenty of different challenging slopes Uh, i think uh here in the u.s they they have the black diamond double triple blue greens etc what's your favorite slope to navigate and why
2: Hmm, i have a couple different ones i like tucker mountain at copper, uh, copper uh, mountain resort a lot it's it's a uh, high alpine terrain we just it's not groomed there's rocks and stumps and bumps and tree stumps and all kind of craziness and it's just fun to get up there and and snowboard through that and then my other favorite would just be hiking out to the Western Union Ridge and dropping in out there. It's above tree lines, so it's all wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a couple of different ones for depending on what I want to do that day, but those are probably my two favorite.
0: I would imagine the uh, rocks and bumps keep you uh, definitely alert because that, that must hurt when you hit that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple of, we call them shark fins. You hit a <laughs> shark fin every now and then you, you go down and then you got to take your board or your skis and get them fixed. But, uh, oh. yeah, you learn – you learn real quick on where the, where the snow is and where it's not, so you just stay out of the not spaces.
0: <laughs> nice. And the other thing that we also know about you is you love to fish. And uh, so since you do love to fish, I would like you to tell us what is your favorite fish to catch and your favorite fish to eat?
2: Hmm. Oh, yeah. So I, I discovered fly fishing a year after we moved here. And then it became a a great outlet for when, after my daughter was born, um, just to get, when she would go down for a nap and then Amy would go down for a nap and I would go fish and just kind of forget about all the stresses of being a a brand new father. So that was another thing I can say is recovery through fly fishing. It's just you and and the river and you're just focused on that indicator or that dry fly and everything else just kind of disappears for that hour or however long you're out there. Mm. um so yeah i'm a very adamant fly fisherman now (laughs) i try to get out as much as i can uh i know i think i like catching brook trout's the Mm. most they're fun they fight a lot they don't like they don't like to be put in the net and they're they're a gorgeous fish yeah yeah and then uh, of course we we eat all the rainbow trout up here at Mm. some of the local restaurants and that's probably my favorite Mm. favorite dish is the um rainbow trout with like crusted pecans or walnuts usually on it
1: yeah. That sounds delicious. That's, that's what <laughs> now I now I got love. you all hungry. Yeah, yeah that's
0: I, right. I, I am, actually. I just <laughs> ate lunch, but I could eat that again.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome.
1: All right. Well, um, it has been so much fun to chat with you today, Jimmy, and, and catch up and see what's happening in your life. And we're very excited for what the future holds for you. Um, and just wanted to say, you know, give our best to Amy and Avery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, thanks again for spending some time with us, Jimmy.
2: Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, of course. No problem. I uh, really appreciate this opportunity, and I, I'm glad I could share my story and possibly help out other veterans.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate it, too. Thanks again. and Take care.
2: Y'all as well. Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at EODWarriorFoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.